This is episode 44 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 44 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we chat with Father Terry Ehrman, the chaplain to the DeNicola Center and teacher of the popular theology course, Science, Theology, and Creation. In our conversation, we chat about how he came to Notre Dame, his vocation as a Holy Cross priest, and how he challenges his students to move from created things to the Creator Himself. Let's sit down for this wonder-filled conversation. Well, Father Terry Ehrman, thank you very much for coming to be with us. It's wonderful to be here. So tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, How did you come to Notre Dame? How long have you been here? Those sorts of things. I was born and raised in in Baltimore, Maryland, the only Catholic colony of the original 13. Two parents, three older brothers, younger sister, came to Notre Dame as an undergraduate. My father had been a graduate of Notre Dame, along with two older brothers, a couple cousins, my uncle. It's a big Notre Dame connection. Mm -hmm. So that's, in some ways, the beginning of my Notre Dame story. Joined the Congregation of Holy Cross was ordained in the year 2000, and after I finished my doctorate at the Catholic University of America in 2012, I came back to campus. And so apart from one year when I was doing a research year abroad at Berkeley, I've been here at Notre Dame teaching classes, either the Foundations of Theology class or second-level theology classes that deal with theology and creation and science. You mentioned you are a member of the Congregation of Holy Cross, so tell us about joining the, the congregation? How you, Obviously, you met them here, or, or do you have other connections as well? Primarily through Notre Dame, uh, certainly predating my arrival with people who have been here before me in the family. But lived in one of the residence halls, and, and even today, as back then, 30 years ago, priests live in the residence halls with the students. And so in my residence hall, there was the rector, who was a Holy Cross priest, the vice president of the university, lived in my hall, along with another priest. And so three priests lived in the building with me, and 250 other men. Had a couple priests for class. My botany professor, Father Jim McGrath, was a Holy Cross priest. Had a philosophy class with a Holy Cross priest. I think those were the only two I had as an undergrad. So I had an experience with both the teaching side of, of Holy Cross and the pastoral side. And I've always thought about, I've always wanted to teach ever since I was I was younger. And so when I was applying for looking into religious life as a vocation, I never felt a sense of call to to diocesan priesthood, but to religious life. And so I'd, I applied nowhere else than Holy Cross. I think the combination of my own interest in being called to teach and being a priest, it was a perfect fit with the Congregation of Holy Cross. Um, so I entered in 1994 after I was a biology major at Notre Dame as an undergraduate and then went to Virginia Tech and got a master's in aquatic ecology. I studied small mountain streams of North Carolina and Glacier National Park and even here in Indiana and came back to Notre Dame for the seminary after that. And so the main discernment time for me was in graduate school in terms of actually corresponding with a vocation director. From the age of eight, I'd had the sense of being a religious and a priest. 
So it's just a matter of when I was going to actualize that potential. Mm-hmm. So I entered it in 1994 and was ordained in 2000 and makes the math easy for anniversary calculations. <laughs> you went off and studied aquatic ecology and then you worked on a PhD, although your PhD is not in aquatic ecology. No. My first attempt at a PhD was after I was ordained. I worked in a parish for two years and thought I would always teach biology since I had this biology background. And so I began a PhD program in entomology, which is the study of insects. Mm -hmm. And so I started at the University of Minnesota at their St. Paul campus. And after my first year there, it became clear to me that my interest in plants or bugs or trees or water and creation in general would be more prudently accomplished from the theology side. So I asked to withdraw from that program and did start a a theology PhD program. So in between that, then I went to the University of Portland and taught out there for a year and met lots of people. Then I applied for theology programs and went to Catholic U and got a PhD in systematic theology. So I was going to name new species of, of caddisflies, a type of aquatic insect. And so there's a lot of species in the tropics that are unnamed and so I was going to name new species of caddisflies from the tropics, but I left all that glory behind <laughs> to become a theologian. See. So instead of being an entomologist to think about God, I'm a theologian who thinks about insects and water and plants and things. <laughs> and you never fail to show me photos of bugs that you find on it's, campus. It really is what I call, and this might take some explanation, prelapsarian onomastic joy. So prelapsarian means before the fall. Lapsus in Latin means the fall. So the fall in the garden before the fall. Onomastic has to do with naming. So it's, it's the joy of Adam naming the beast before the fall. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, my delight in encountering anything I see around me is to know its name. You mentioned, you know, that you teach a couple of courses in theology here. So uh, one of them is called Science, Theology, and Creation. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about this class and about what, what you aim for your students to learn and, and then what your students actually learn, because sometimes those aren't the same thing. So this class makes me very happy. And happiness, as Aristotle defines, is is the satisfaction of a desire. So your will is ordered to some good. And so I've always envisioned for certainly my adult life teaching a class somewhat like this on science to bring together these these two seemingly in conflict realities, science and faith, when actually they go go, uh, hand in hand together in great friendship. And so... I put this class together in the summer of 2015 and taught it for the first time in the fall of 2015. So the description of the class is how, despite these claims of conflict, how do actually science and theology fit together? So the first eight weeks of the class are who is God as creator? How does God act in the world? And what is this thing we call creation? Because it's a particular understanding that we should have of it. So we look at scripture, tradition, the early church fathers, the patristic, and then the medieval with a focus on St. Thomas Aquinas. His ideas are critical to my presentation. And then we have a week break. And then after that break, we apply all those concepts we learned in the first half to contemporary issues. So we spend four or five days on cosmology, Big Bang, with a day to look just at Galileo. The broadest part of the class is about seven or eight days on evolution. And then we end up with about four or five days on ecology. So that's the intellectual thrust mm-hmm. of the course. But I think what really makes this class to be what it is and why it's become popular among the undergraduates as it's known as the tree class has to do with there's a laboratory component to this theology class. So typically if you take a science class in biology, you would take a lab with it. And when I was in ecology, a focus of ecology, we had labs outside. We'd be out in the lakes here on campus. We'd be out in the woods. And so I've been formed in that and if students are going to learn about creation, 
they should be out in it and not just reading about it in a book. So there's two outdoor lab components to the class. The first is a astronomical one. So they track, it's a fourth grade project made up for college, and you just track the moon for a month. I give them a sheet of paper that has 28 circles on it, and they just have to sketch in, fill in the phase of the moon. And people learn a lot that they've forgotten or never learned in fourth grade, such as, I never knew the moon could be out during the day. It's like, you just gotta, so Wanda gets them looking up. So it's, it's not just about learning the cycle of the moon, that's part of the knowledge, but it's also spiritually what is your connection as a human being to this world in which you live? How attentive are you to it? And just the reality of looking up, many of the church fathers write about our bipedality, that we're, we're obligate, upright walkers. We're not knuckle walkers, most of us. <laughs> and so part of that bipedality is that it, our upright carriage, our physicality, bespeaks our spirituality that we're able to look up and ponder the mystery of the universe, but also the mystery of God, that we're capable of God. And so that comes out in some of the reflections that they write about the Moon Project is just, they ask different questions about themselves and the world by looking up. I'm going to look up now more. I'm going to continue to do this all the time. You've changed the way I look at the world. So that's the Moon Project. Then there's a longer project, which is really the core of the class, which is during their first week, they have to select a place on campus that has a tree, and this is a very beautiful campus with lots of, lots of trees on it. And then for 11 weeks, they will keep a combination scientific journal slash theological notebook, and they'll write their observations about, is it raining, is it snowing, is it clear, is it blue, is it humid? What's the angle of the sun above the horizon? What's the compass direction of the sun? So just enough little sciencey things to get them lured in. And then there's a question that I give them that's related to what we're doing in class. And they're very personal, such as what's your thought about where the ordinate, where where's the universe come from? So they have to reveal if they think that comes from God, if it's just if it just is, they don't they don't have an explanation for it, or if they're an atheist or non-religious, and so it begins to wrestle with their very being and who they are, and they learn a lot by ten to fifteen minutes, disconnected from cell phones, just out in silence and solitude, and it's very difficult for this this generation to be quiet and to not be always doing something. So I have students say things such as, when this project began, I thought it was a little hokey, but now six or seven weeks in, I come to look at it as the best time of my week because I can just sit and be quiet. And either A, they've never been taught how to be quiet and how to just sit still, or they'll say things like, I feel like I'm being judged by people walking by because I'm not doing anything. <laughs> as if being isn't doing. Right. Um, so it's, and some people catch on very quickly that this isn't about trees at all. This is about who I am and my relationship to creation, my relationship to God. Right? You can pray out there. So what I'm actually doing in this class is what St. Basil the Great did in the fourth century. And he gave a series of homilies on the six days of creation called the Hexameron, which was a common motif back in the patristic medieval times. And he says he wants to lure his his audience away from their fascination with the world that we create. So he describes horse races and meretricious plays, lascivious plays, or today it would be the internet. It would be Las Vegas. It would be video games. Just, just describe our world today. And he'd be using that. And he wants to lure them away from that and to give them a guided tour through the amphitheater of creation. So the amphitheater of creation, this is what God has created. But the guided part of it is essential because we can go out and look at the world and we can see its beauty and, and maybe even its goodness. 
But do we know how to look beyond just what we see? Because you open your eyes and you see things. You see a mountain. You see Mount Hood. Mm -hmm. You see clouds. You see blue sky, snow, raindrops. But can you see God in and through the material reality of, of the world? And that's the guided part of the tour is that what we do in class, what we read by Aquinas and Bonaventure, right? It's giving them the intellectual lens and concepts to bring to the creation that they see. So we should have a double vision, as one of our authors says, that we can see things in its particularity, its distinctiveness. You see that as a sycamore tree, and it's different from that sycamore tree. But because God is the creator, everything has a trace of God. It's like the fingerprints of God are on everything. Everything is created in and through the word of God. It's like Play-Doh. When you take Play-Doh as a kid and you, you have a ball of it and you mush it through some device and it comes out in a long star-shaped tube, right? You have a star-shaped tube. It, it points to it was made by someone who, who gave it, pushed it through some aperture. And I think all of creation is being pushed through the aperture of God's word. So everything has this imprint of, of the word on it. And that word became flesh. And so anything that we see in the world today should give us not only a thought of God, but of even of Jesus Christ, because the word of God through whom it was made, that wisdom of God became incarnate and walked among us and rose from the dead. So it's about opening one's eyes to see with a broader vision of reality, to have this double vision, to see the world as sacramental to see the world as transparent to the divine. And so if you just open your eyes, you should always be filled, as Bonaventure says, with the stupor of wonder. <laughs> now, you're chaplain to the Danicola Center for Ethics and Culture. How did you first get involved with the DCEC, and what are some of your ongoing involvements with, uh, with the work of the, the center and our students and faculty? I suppose it started through, when I first came back to campus, I got connected with right to life issues. And I think it's ultimately from, from that. And there's also another priest who was here at the time, uh, Father Bill Daly, who was then the chaplain, if I'm not mistaken, to the yeah. Center for Ethics Culture. And so he then, when he left campus to go over to Ireland, where he is now, I think that's when I became the chaplain to the Center for Ethics Culture. that's right. Yeah. I think that's how it all started. But it came through similarities of issue and purpose um, connected with that. Part of... My involvement with the center primarily hinges around those issues. So I'm, I accompany the March for Life that's heavily subsidized and sponsored by the Center for Ethics and Culture. Sure. So I do that. Um, Preach the regularly at the monthly. Yeah, I'm just, just trying to. Just, I'm trying to think of the right different. I've various chaplaincies <laughs> and they can overlap. But yeah, there's the there's a first Friday mass series. So mm -hmm. I'm involved with that. There's groups with the the Soren Fellows and the Fall Conference, you know, being a chaplain for that. But then also, I've given one talk at the Center for Ethics Culture, and I'm preparing this very afternoon, uh, at least the abstract for the next talk that'll be in just a couple weeks at the Fall, at the fall, conference. fall conference. Sure. Now, you also live in a residence hall uh, here now. You're, you're a, a chaplain in a hall. So I live in Pascarilla East Hall. Uh, we're the Pyros. It's a women's hall, so I live with 250 women. Setting campus on fire. Setting, setting the world on fire. Setting the world on fire. It's they, our chapel is St. Catherine of Siena, so there's all of her fiery images. If you of, are what you what you are made to be. You will set the, the world, world on fire. fire. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So there's mass on Sundays. There's one weekday mass that we have. There's just having the door open and, and meeting people and chatting with them and or people that come and knock on the door. Hey, Father, can I talk to you? So... There's those kind of things that go on in the, in the hall. 
so that's that's a wonderful opportunity that we have as Holy Cross priests. And I think what makes Notre Dame to be Notre Dame is that as the founding community for Notre Dame as, as a Holy Cross to to be with the students. And I look at our presence here in three ways that Notre Dame is about forming people in wisdom in three different modes. The first would be not in any particular order of importance, but just as they come to me liturgically. So as a Catholic university, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist that it's all about how do we have a sapiential dimension to knowledge, that there's a wisdom dimension to knowledge. And so the opening school mass is the votive mass of the Holy spirit. And the opening prayer talks about make us wise. So that's the first aspect is how to become participate in the wisdom of God who's made the world liturgically and through our priesthood in Christ to, to offer ourselves and the world back to God. Another part is through the residence halls, right? How do you become a wise person? With, how do you live a moral life? So it's guiding students in that endeavor and pathway. And then third is intellectually, that one should be encountering that the point of a university is about not just knowledge, technical knowledge, but it's actually about wisdom. What is the ultimate cause of all things? So you can be a wise biologist, Thomas Aquinas says, if you know all the principles of biology, how DNA replicates, how water is used by a certain organism, right? you're a wise biologist. And then there's philosophy, literally the love of wisdom, philosophia. And that's using natural reason alone to talk about what are the highest causes that we can know through reason. And you can come to that there is a God through reason alone, but that's not the highest wisdom. So we can think about theological wisdom, and that's reflecting upon with reason, what God has revealed about himself. And as Thomas Aquinas defines wisdom, wisdom is the knowledge of divine things. Now, there's an even higher wisdom than theological wisdom, which is mystical wisdom, but that's more of a gift that's given. Yeah, that's experiential. <laughs> that is infused. Infused and not, yeah. not rationally um, encountered. So so that's what our, our mission here, as I see it at Notre Dame, is, is that. So we have th- two theology classes that every student has to take more or less two philosophy classes that every student has to take. So participating in that. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. And so the way and the content, the teacher and the content are one in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, now what are you working on now? You made reference to working on a paper uh, that you'll be delivering at the fall conference, but what else do you have in the hopper? So, I'd love to – I teach another class called Theology and Ecology, and it's a look at the Great Lakes watershed through the lens of integral ecology, which is – Pope Francis uses a lot in his encyclical Laudato Si. That's this combination of natural ecology and human ecology that our life as – in the political landscape, social, economic, cultural is not disconnected from our being creatures who live in an ecosystem and in a watershed, the environment. And so these are not separate realities, that it's all integrated into a whole. And so we look at the Great Lakes watershed, we look at the theology of creation, we look at biodiversity, invasive species, water use and pollution, food and agriculture, energy and liturgy. So I want to write a book that's my class, just in book form. So that's, that's, the project. that's in the hopper. Okay. Um, that would be one thing. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Um, that's out there right now. I mean, I'd love to write an article on evolution and original sin and how those those things fit together or 
hopefully what I might write for this talk that's coming up in next month for the fall conference is on the friendship between evolution and, and faith and to look in particular at how do we understand what, what kind of anthropology, body, soul kind of understanding of ourself best expresses, how do we understand evolution in light of that for the human person? So that's one thing that kind of gives us some thought to. Nice. Well, Father Terry Ehrman, chaplain to the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture, thank you so much for chatting with us. No, you're very welcome. Thank you to Father Terry. You will find links to his book and to a reflection he wrote about what his students learn in his tree class in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is, I don't know, by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Good decisions.